Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. This week, recapping the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix on the streets of downtown Detroit. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are we doing? Oh, we're living the dream, you? Yeah, I guess I could say the same. Living the dream. I mean, we're we're here talking about indie cars. So. We are. And the first off weekend in a while, like we can take a deep breath yeah. now yeah. after May and recharge a little bit before Road America. Yes, uh, much needed for the drivers and... You know, you can even almost argue for beyond just the drivers, obviously the crews and the teams, but even the fans, like in a way, yeah. like I get it. People say, oh, you want IndyCar racing every week, I but don't. I don't, um, it, I got too much going on. Yeah. It is a nice reprieve from, from the grind that was the month of May leading into Detroit. Look, I get it. You have to have a race after the Indy 500, but you also have to have a break right mm-hmm. after to give people some time. Absolutely. It comes at the the right time as uh, we near the halfway point of the season. Yeah, which, I mean, we're coming up almost to the mid-season and mid-season grades. We'll have that in, in a couple weeks after Road America, which is coming up on June 18th. But this week, we'll recap the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. Alex Pillow of Chip Ganassi Racing gets the win, wins the pole, in a race that all the drivers were absolutely crapping on as far as the circuit and it's too bumpy. It's too tight. It's a go-kart track. Yeah. All things that Alex below had to say about this circuit and all yet boo-hoo stuff. And yet he wins the pole. He wins the race. Um, doesn't and, hate it as much now, does he? Yeah, I, I don't think so. And I think the, the track raced well on television as well. So First off, I was going to go. We had some conflicts pop up and also yeah. the fact that demand for tickets. You made some bank. <laughs> yeah, it was very high. So did not attend, but made a nice profit on my tickets. So I, I apologize for being the absolute worst when it comes to that. But uh, it, it was a, a nice chunk of change that I could not, could not no, ignore. No, which, which showed the, um, the demand for tickets, which yes. is a good thing. And that's one maybe kind of criticism for the races. You never just got a sense of how many people were there. Um, but by indications of, of you selling your tickets, and, and that was on the low end of what you got, 500 apiece. Yeah. And that was on the low end of what you saw. And so that, that, that's encouraging. Yes, uh, at least listed several days before. Now, I'm not sure about Thursday or Friday, but yeah. there was demand. Reserve seats for Sunday were sold out. Saturday was close leading into the event. Um, hotels and, and everything. We'll get more on what Bud Dinker had to say about this event later, but basically everything turned up positively and there was buzz for this event. And I don't think you could say the same for Belle Isle, you know, in, in years past, it, it was more of what can Pinsky entertainment do to assure people upset that Belle Isle, which is a state park, uh, was being taken care of not only as far as, you know, road closures and that annoying people, but also the environmental impact. And with this, you don't have to worry about those questions. Um, was the circuit bumpy in spots? Yes. But these are all things that after the first year of a new event, they can go back and, and try to fix some of the things. But as far as the circuit goes, outside of maybe smoothing out some bumps and some turns and on the straightaway, I think you have a, a really good circuit. Um, just over 1.6 miles. The laps are fast. You have plenty of passing zones. I, yeah, it's I think not this, just turn three. I think this raced quite well on TV. So 
well, let's get to our takeaways. And I think I think the first one for both of us is probably just the fact that all the complaining by drivers going into this weekend, quite simply, not merited, in my opinion. I mean, you have a circuit that, yes, there were bumps. There are bumps on other circuits. This isn't F1. We don't, we don't have you know, right. smooth this as is glass street circuits. Totally. You don't so, have smooth as glass road courses. No. So I think the, the circuit held up. It was entertaining. We thought it could be a chaos weekend, especially after the practice sessions and, and qualifying. And yes, while there are some some crashes, it was largely just drivers running out of talent. <laughs> yeah, um, especially running out of talent during yellow. Um, and you know who that is. But I thought it raced tremendously well. This is the problem is, is, um, is drivers have too much say sometimes I think, and they're never going to be completely satisfied hundred percent. And, and look, this was a, Bud Danker knows what he's doing and it was a course designed for tight environs and not making a mistake and making sure you were, uh, aware at all times, even in and out of the pit lane. And that's what was demanded for this race. And by and large, the, drivers delivered on sunday despite complaining throughout the weekend about it and it just shows what's possible if everybody kind of works together and make sure they make sure at least the majority of aren't are being stupid out on course and raced well had multiple passing zones like you said i thought it was a, a successful event minor tweaks here or there but uh, the double-sided pit lane i think wasn't the disaster that some people thought it would be so by all indications for a first time road street course event, which always opens yourself up to issues or unforeseen issues coming up. I thought it was very good. It raced well. It went off. Well, Dr- uh, drivers came out on the other end. I think a big part of it was other series on track and rubbering up the track and stuff like that. And the racing lines and off the racing lines. So I think it was, it was pretty good. It was a good success. Can't wait to go back. I think also the shot from the dual pit lane of the Renaissance Center in the background, really, really cool uh, to have the the rooftop access for fans and the free viewing areas. Uh, Bud Dinker saying that they didn't close any businesses. They didn't, you know, obviously they had to close streets, but no businesses were closed. Yep. You, you know, 200 countries watching on TV as far as the expansion of IndyCar. They're going to make some changes for year two. Unclear what the the attendance was due to those three viewing areas, but I'm sure you drew more what you drew on Belle Isle. This is just limited. You had a lot more suites at what was it like triple the amount of suites? Yeah, it was what, like sixty some suites that you used. You had the uh the what do they call it? The chalet from mm-hmm. uh the golf course in Phoenix that was there. That yes. Was fancy looking. So they had the the party porch, uh you had the chalets, you had the grandstands. Uh, around 20,000 ticketed fans on site per day. Um, they, they said they could have had more if they built more grandstands because the grandstands were sold out. And I think that's the thing. You you bring it to the people and you have a lot better access than you did on, on Belle Isle. Obviously, they'll keep the, the Indy 500 slot as well. But I think as far as track layout changes, not necessary. I mean, can you smooth some bumps? Yes. But overall, I think this is a, a good thing. And as far as hotels, I mean this from the Detroit free press, but hotels busy, the downtown area. Um, people saying that, you know, Belle Isle, a great venue to host it, but obviously accessibility challenges, sizable uptick in terms of number of people who came to watch. So 
all in all positive for the event. Good for the businesses around there as long as they're happy and there's a positive economic impact. They're going to want the event to keep coming back. So all in all, and here's the thing with the with the grandstands and you don't want to put too many grandstands in and then just not have enough in supply and demand. So maybe they add some more viewing areas next year considering the turnout for year one. Yeah, we'll we'll see moving forward how that impacts it. But overall, good first year for this event. And I didn't feel like, I think we both felt like there wasn't enough buzz for this no, moving forward. And I, I think it definitely delivered as far as the track, the atmosphere, and uh, the amount of fans that came through for year one. All right, what's your... Uh, First takeaway. Was that our collective first take? I, I would say so, okay. right? Yeah, I would because I would just uh, you know, piggyback off that. So what's your second take? What's what's number two for you? My second takeaway is is kind of two-pronged. First off, Alex Blow getting the race win. One of the most vocal opponents of the track yes. in, the, in the days leading up to the race and then ended up winning it. Yeah, calling it too tight, too bumpy, too short. Uh, a go-kart track you'd play with your, your buddies after drinking or, or you'd race after drinking. Um, but here's the thing, Alex Blow. I, I think he's often kind of overlooked because he's maybe not a dynamic personality in the series, but he has a massive lead in the IndyCar championship, uh, after getting punted by Renus VK in the Indy 500 coming out of the pits. I mean, he had a great car, probably a race winning car, ended up finishing in fourth, wins at Detroit, won at the Indy GP. He hasn't finished outside the top five since St. Pete, where he was eighth. I mean, this is a guy in absolute tear. Now, I get it. Things could change at Road America, but he is on an absolute tear. And to to have a lead this big this early in the season, I know a lot of people will say, well, why leave Chip Ganassi Racing? And I think the obvious answer is money. Um, But it will be fascinating to see how this season plays out for him and also how it plays out if and when we, we get him moving to Arrow McLaren. He's effectively a race ahead of everybody else at this point and is without double points for the with, right and 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 trending upward and if he can continue that he's going to be very very tough to beat in the championship and consistency has been key with Alex Pelot taking advantage of opportunities as well that's what you need to do to win a championship and he was very impressive on Sunday a guy that could he be a multi-championship winner and leave Chip Ganassi racing for a team that hasn't won an Indy 500 or a championship at this point in McLaren. Money talks. I know just ask golf fans recently about uh, how much money talks, but at the same time, uh, his abilities at Chip Ganassi racing have been very impressive and for him to chase the money and potentially disrupt that is, is I think you have to be concerned if you're Alex Pillow fan, you, you hope it continues at McLaren, but it's not guaranteed but he's on a track right now that if it continues is going to win a second championship before moving on. So I think just the, the thing to watch is not only on track, but off track with Pelo. And I think that's kind of my, my takeaway with him is that he is driving at an exceptional level this season. And, and last year you can't deny the fact that, you know, all the off track stuff was probably a distraction. He did his best, but, only won the season finale, won that in dominant fashion. And since that race weekend, he's just been on an absolute roll, just being able to move forward past all that. Yeah, he's been very good. Uh, my number two, let's talk about Pato Award. And has a mistake and then compounds it by making a bad move and crashing himself out in 26th. And I know 
there's gonna be some people that that defend Pato Award and some people that are completely against Pato Award. But the last two weeks have not been kind to him. Makes a bad move, then blames Marcus Erickson for it at the 500. He was wrong, and then just effectively impatient while trying to march his way back up through the field on Sunday. I still think Pato Award is one of the elite drivers in this series. He's capable of winning races. But I do think that the next step in Pato Award's development as a driver is being able to be patient when things aren't going his way. And that's what's missing from him. That's what's separating himself, him from a Scott Dixon or a Joseph Newgarden is when the day isn't going well is to be patient and maximize the opportunity you have. And that's he, he seems incapable of doing that. I would say it separates him from Alex Pillow. And then yeah. more recently, Will Power, who became that driver last year. Last year to win a championship. Uh, I would definitely agree. And that's the thing with, with Pato is he gets in his head too much. He gets impatient too much and makes a stupid move and just makes things worse. And until he rectifies that, it's tough to see him as somebody who can win a championship in his career because you have to, you're going to have a couple races a year where you're just trying to max points where you're not a top 10 car, a top five car, or a race winning car. You're just in a position where you're trying to max points. And that's where he was this week and even last week in terms of maybe being a contender late or or in the closing lap or two is not making a mistake with seven, eight laps to go. And that's what we saw him do. Well, the Indy 500, I would argue he and Felix Rosenquist had race winning capable cars. Whereas this yeah. week, you know, the, the the peak for that team was a podium and, and Felix Rosenquist laying it on the podium. But I, I think for Pato, it's just like you mentioned, consistency. And I, I think you could you could jump and, and make leaps like Marshall Pro talking about uh, Paul Tracy and the, the comparison. Look, we have two data points. Otherwise, this is not something we think of Pato we're doing. He's aggressive, right? But he normally keeps it pretty clean. It's just this year we have two back-to-back data points that say otherwise, so I think it, it might be easier to jump to that other conclusion. Right. But to win a championship, what do you have to do? You have to win races. I get it. Will Power only won one last year. That's the the exception. That's you have to not win normal. race. Yeah, <laughs> not races. And, and then and then finish. You know, constant podiums. Or if you have some less than stellar results like he's had in back-to-back weeks, you got to rip off some wins. And for that team and all the hype, still no race wins this year. And that's the question we came in when we come into the season is McLaren has, has always been this, uh, the last couple of years, been this team ready to make a jump, yet it hasn't been able to. At least it's been winning races with Pato Award and Felix Rosenquist in recent years. Can't even do that this year so far, let alone Indy 500s and championships. So Pato Award just, he needs to stay even keeled throughout. And that could be a tough thing for sure. But he needs to be able to do that if he's going to be a championship winning driver in this series. My number three. So, so much has been made about the the turnover at Andretti Autosport and, and the changing driver lineup. Obviously, you have Devlin DeFrancesco is, is back from last year. Roman Grosjean back from last year. Colton Herta back from last year. But Kyle Kirkwood coming in. He was the guy who we thought, okay, he had a really tough rookie year with Foyt. Obviously, was very talented what he did on the ladder, but it didn't have results to show for it, right? I mean, whether it was mechanical failures or him crashing, trying to do too much, 
I think that was as the a biggest, rookie. Yeah, I think that was the biggest warning sign with Kirkwood last year is his inability to keep it clean. He had way too many incidents. He had one top ten finish that was at Long Beach, and then beyond that, his best result the rest of the year was a thirteenth place at Portland, and didn't even you know come close to the top ten the rest of the way, let alone top fives or podiums. So he really struggled his rookie year. We knew he came in with a lot of talent. You wondered how would he respond. He's with a team that you would say is obviously bigger. You have a lot more data, uh, historically better equipment, and you come in and what does he show you? And obviously he gets the Long Beach win, but I think what he's shown the last two weeks has been more impressive because Long Beach is a track that the Andretti team has been very fast at. And look, if you win the poll there, you have an opportunity to dominate. And, and he basically did that as New Garden's tire strategy didn't work uh, in the closing stages of, of that race. Um, but for Kirkwood, yes, he, he did crash in the Indy 500, no fault of his own. He was running top five at the time. He was, he had a top five car and and he was patient, worked his way through the field after qualifying mid pack. And then this past weekend where he he gets hit from behind by I lot at the start. Yeah. He gets uh, Catherine legged. Yeah. Basically at the start rear wing taken off. He has an early pit stop. Able to rally back, though, and finish sixth and have one of the quicker cars at the end of the race that if you think if it stays you know, green longer, he could maybe even squeak his way up to a podium position. And I think that drive through the field really showcased, I think, what he's done. Yes, he's, he's 12th in points, but kind of his growth the last you know handful of weeks, I think we're seeing a driver. I'm not saying he's going to be a championship contender because I think he's too far removed. But I think we're seeing a guy who could maybe win another race this year. And is he perhaps the top dog in Andretti now? Because he is, he's young, he's talented, like his counterpart, uh, counterpart Colton Herta. But he's won a race no one else on the team has this year. And I, I think you could easily make the argument, this is the top driver there now. Well, I think any argument made for him being the top driver at Andretti is more indicative, in my opinion, of Colton Herta and Romain Grosjean than it is... Kyle Kirkwood. Now, Kyle Kirkwood is, has taken a step forward. Part of his struggles last year was running for Foyt, but he was also impatient. We talked about Pato Award being impatient. Kyle Kirkwood was impatient or just overdrove the car too much in terms of incidents. He's been able to d- nip both of those pretty much in the bud this year, and that's key to development, right? You need to go through those things, and then you hope that Kyle Kirkwood learns from it. We were saying la- this year, this time last year that if Kyle Kirkwood can't quit crashing – it doesn't matter what team he's with. Well, he's been able to avoid that this year, at least self-inflicted crashes. Now he crashed it, like you said, no fault of his own. So he's a guy that's really developed and looked like the part of who what could have been a top prospect coming out of the road to Indy, and he's delivered with a win this year and consistency and really in that upper teens area where he's finished at St. Pete and Alabama and uh, the road course at Indy and, of course, has the win at Long Beach in the top uh, top 10 at Detroit. So he's delivering, but the fact that we're having the conversation that is he the top driver at Andretti really shows the struggles of the other two guys. And what we were saying four or five weeks ago is that Roman Grosjean with the start of his season, but he's had struggles with crashes. So the person that I think that we're looking at the most in terms of when does he start driving to his potential is Colton Herta. And that could change at Road America, right? In, in a couple of weeks, you know, I, I think he's a guy who will win a race this year. I'd be very shocked if he doesn't. 
But when is he going to become the guy that we thought he'd be a couple years ago where he's not just, you know, winning a race or two, but he's a, a championship well, contender. When he becomes Joseph Newgarden. I mean, Joseph, he's very comparable in Joseph Newgarden, maybe not with the youth that he started, but in looking at it saying, okay, he's one of the next drivers that are going to win 500s and championships in this series and hasn't been able to do either. And then you're wondering, I know he's still incredibly young, but at the same time, he's becoming a veteran in the series and not being able to deliver in each. So that that's kind of a a, a big thing for, for Colton Hurd. I don't think it's time to hit the warning signs, but there, at least there's some caution in how we look at Colton Hurd and can his career turn out as profitable as we thought it would even last year, the year before. Well, and to counter that, I mean, he's 23 years old. Pato Award is 24 years old. And they just, you know, they just recently had birthdays. So, uh, I mean, these are two young guys they are two stars, but at the same time, is it just a simple fact of this series is so competitive, you have to be, you know, experienced. And, and I guess the counter is that Marcus Erickson, you know, became a championship contender last year in what season number four. So that's maybe the exception, not the rule. But for a lot of these guys, it takes several years. I mean, for Newgarden, right? I get it. Right. He was on lesser teams to start his career, smaller teams. But it, the first year he was even a contender was 2016. And that's that was like, what is his fifth full season? Yeah. So it takes some time. It does. Absolutely. But I, I think it, it, it almost we shuffle the deck with that uh, Andretti team every weekend on who's the alpha. And it's with, between three drivers. And it seems like more and more this season, we're going with Kyle Kirkwood coming out of weekends and saying the alpha at Andretti. All right, what's your third takeaway? Well, let's talk Graham Ray Hall. Yep. We talked about uh, miscues at a new track. It happens, but the only one that happened under yellow was Graham Ray Hall. And I'm wondering when we reach a point when somebody says about Graham Ray Hall, instead of, oh, you feel bad for him because he's with an underperforming team, you say, I feel bad for him because his best is behind him. And I know you can point, he, he tried to point to the car being some sort of issue, but you crashed under yellow and crashed hard. It wasn't like um, a, a narrow, you put it straight into the wall. And I just wonder when somebody's going to put it out there that's like, look, Graham Ray Hall like, is just, it's, it's not there anymore. And going to Ganassi or going to wherever, like people want to say, could be an option does it really save him at this point? Because he's shown nothing, next to nothing, recently at Ray Hall at him in Lanigan. To be fair, it's a team that struggles. I get it. But at the same time, the drivers aren't blameless. People want to blame Jack Harvey for his performance at Ray Hall at him in Lanigan. But apparently, Graham Ray Hall is immune from criticism. And he's been arguably, at least in the last couple of weeks, worse than Jack Harvey. I just don't know when and when and where it turns around, if it ever turns around for Graham Rahal. And last weekend was the the most recent example of a guy that just looks completely lost. Not a team, the team's lost, but a a a guy, a driver that looks completely lost. Detroit, now granted, this is a different circuit, but Detroit is, is where Graham Rahal had his last wins because yeah, he double header win, a, yeah, double header weekend in 2017. And yes, he's been competitive since then, but this year he just seems like. A different driver. Remember last year, he was slow to start the season and then rallied and, and late, you know, had a really good second half of the season. Could that happen again? Yes. But we've also never seen from Graham Rahal what we saw last weekend. 
is that a one-off? Is it just, you know, eventually catches up to everyone kind of thing? Right. Uh, or is that a sign of things to come? I think that's something that's going to be curious to watch because look, if I'm Graham Rahal, I, I find a way to go to a different team for 2024. I mean, you at least try something, yes. right? And, and at the very least it galvanizes you to see what you still have. But this is, it's a dude that hasn't had a podium since 2020, 2021 Texas. And that's a long time for a guy that's, uh, that's considered, um, where he's at in, in the sport. And, uh, it's been struggle. It's been a lot of struggles. I think you go somewhere else next year to just try to find something. But uh, I, I do feel we've reached a point that you can't keep blaming just ROL. You have to start pointing the finger at Graham Rahal and say he's not as good of a driver as he used to be. Is that because he's past his prime? Is it because he's just been dragged down by the struggles of Rahal Letterman Lanigan? I'm not sure. But there's no denying the fact that Rahal Letterman or Graham Rahal has declined in driver prowess. We can say it about Jack Harvey. We can say it about Graham Ray Hall. They're the same team. Other notes from the weekend. Felix Rosenquist getting the podium battling with Alexander Rossi. Rossi saying, we'll discuss it internally as far as their contact. I thought it was fair driving. I thought it was hard racing. Personally. Here's my thing with that situation. If the situation is reversed, Alexander Rossi is, is doing the same thing Felix Rosenquist was. Correct. And that's what should be said behind closed doors. So any any problem Rossi have should be should be squashed by the fact that you know, like Alex, if you were in Felix's position, you would have done the very same thing. Ramon Grosjean, uh, who crashed on his own while running what top three, I believe. Uh, yeah, definitely top five. Um, He's, he was in third at that point. He, I thought he he, uh, he crashed, and Scott McLaughlin said that Grosjean destroyed McLaughlin's top five chances. Just drove straight into him. I mean, they had contact. I think the problem with this circuit is it's hard to know as far as what guys had, you know, suspension failures and that caused their their race to end. True. Or, you know, was it something else? Because you can blame the bumps on the circuit only so much. And and part of it is we simply don't know. Like some guys said they had a suspension failure, and we'll we'll get to that in our tweets of the week. Uh, one in particular, that being Roman Grosjean. But how much is it the suspension issues? I mean, if Colton Herta can drive around with a a broken front wing for yeah twenty some laps and then drive the final two with like half a front wing and still yeah. end up finishing eleventh, like y- you can wheel it. You're a professional driver. Yeah, you figure it out. Kirkwood had four pit stops, still finished sixth, where most yeah. everyone around him had everybody two. had two. So. so you have to be better. You know, excuses are, everybody's got one, right? Other notes uh, from this race for Alex Pillow becomes first driver eligible for the People Ready Force for Good uh, challenge if he can win at either Iowa or Gateway. So he's won uh, at, let's see, the road course at IMS, obviously won Streets of Detroit, so he needs the oval, won the, the oval pole. Um, but that was also his first street course win. Very impressive. Which is hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, did either of us pick below last week? I don't I think I picked so. Power. I can't remember. I think I picked Herda, which did not work out. I looked okay with, with Power for a while, but no. It's all good. Nobody all said good. we were smart. Yeah. Well, that's that's definitely not. Also, this from Chad 200. Alex Blow, fifth driver in history to win the Indy 500 pole. 
Then when the next IndyCar race from pole position joins Rick Mears in 1989, AJ Foyt in 75, Bobby Unser in 72, and Mario Andretti in 1966. That's a little bit different, though, because they all won at Milwaukee. Yes, a little bit still different. Is, still is interesting. In, fa- in fact, you could almost say it's, in a way, more impressive because it's a completely different type of circuit. True. I would agree. Meanwhile, the, uh, the hangover for the Indy 500 winner continues. A 10th place finish for Joseph Newgard. No, pl- no driver has won or finished in the top five immediately after the Indianapolis 500 since Juan Pablo Montoya in 2000. So now 24 years since not just a win by the Indy 500 winner the, the week after, but even a top five. The most impressive would have been 2017 in Detroit because Takuma Sato uh, won the pole for one of those races. And remember, that was a doubleheader back then. Correct. And, and Sato was was third and then pole, but he had a pretty solid race week in eighth in race one. Uh, and then in race two, he won the pole and ended up finishing fourth. And that's really kind of the high watermark since then. But either way, it just shows how difficult it is. In a top 10 finish for a driver after Indy, I mean, that's really good. It's just the yes. reality of where we're at. They're just trying to survive the week of, of media chaos, right? And Joseph Newgarden wouldn't give it up for anything. He just powered through Detroit weekend. Now he gets a week off. Meanwhile, can't believe we didn't talk about this, but Flava Flav. The, the big, uh, the big um, I guess, scene stealer of the weekend. He was at Detroit, uh, was seen with Will Power doing the, the, the parade lap. Had a Will Power shirt on, was Will front Power row in, a, in the bleachers, the, the closing laps on Sunday. Multiple interviews, which, again, always going to promote yourself, right? But uh, that was really cool to, to see, and I think that was kind of one of the highlights from the weekend. Not drivers complaining about the track, the fact that Flavor yes. Flav was there and, and suddenly became a big IndyCar fan. Yeah, let's see if it continues uh, outside of the weekend, but wouldn't mind having... Uh, a member of Public Enemy part of the paddock. No. And then in Indy Lights slash Indy Next, uh, Nolan Siegel had a five-second lead. A half shaft broke. Uh, he was leading the race. It's like two laps or two corners to go. Yeah. And Reese Gold got the win for race one. Nolan Siegel goes back and wins race two. So good for him, the, the bounce back, but just a, a brutal way as he was that close to a win. And very competitive. Um season so far for the series formerly known as Indy Lights. There doesn't seem to be like a, a clear favorite. I no. think that's what makes it interesting. Usually you, you get this far into the season, there are one or two guys who you think, okay, they're going to be challenging for the championship, but it still seems wide open. It does, particularly with the multitude of drivers that have wins or can win in this series. It's pretty impressive. All right, TV rating time. Yes, sir. So... A lot of good news on this as far as the race itself. 0.65 rating, 1.047 million viewers. Over a million. Check Over mark. a million. That's a check. That's up from a 0.23 rating and 354,000 viewers last year on Belle Isle. But again, that was on USA Network. Okay. So it's, up. It's, it's hard to compare. Second highest NBC viewership average on the season. St. Pete, just under 1.2 million. So that's a positive, especially because... It felt like everything was trending down after St. Pete. St. Pete right. was positive. Yeah. And then you're, you're thinking, okay, where'd all the people go? Um, then, as far as the total audience delivery, uh, 1.098 million viewers, most watched race since St. Pete, which had 1.223 million. So when you c- include streaming, so streaming accounted for 
like over 50,000, which is positive. That's it was their most streamed race uh, on Peacock. Uh, second most stream IndyCar race on record on, on Peacock. Pretty, pretty impressive. Good, good week of TV ratings for IndyCar. Now, now that excludes the Indy 500. Yes. Well, yes, of course. Peacock exclusive races to be clear. True. Of which we'll have one. And up 2% on viewership through seven races this year compared to last year. Now, obviously up is up. The Indy 500 being up is is the key. It was up over last year and last year was kind of down as far as the rating goes. So that's a positive. You just need that slim margin. Hopefully IndyCar can grow it through the summer and get some more decent numbers and up from last year type uh, races and uh, get a little bit more comfort zone. But up is up. And um, 2% isn't high, isn't mega, but it's better than 2% down, right? So as we say here, up is up. It's good news. That's right. Now, if it finishes down 4%, then it's a different conversation, but up is up. So if you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements we have to make. Free to subscribe. Uh, You can also check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale there. Uh, You can find us on social media, IndyCar Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook, just search for New Track Record. And you can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. You can support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash new track record. Thanks to Xavier, Rob Stitch, and several others for their generosity each and every month. And as always, you can listen in for free. Download us for free on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, whatever you prefer. And you can find us and listen to us on there. Time for the mailbag. This from Jeremy from HBG. Championship talk. Talking about last week's episode. Yes. Let's yes. talk championship. Polo, 51-point lead over Marcus Erickson. It's over. No, there's a lot it's of like time. It's like Max left. in Formula 1. It's over. Uh, Justin Newgarden, 70 back, and then it gets a lot more dicey. Dixon is, what, 79 back. Um, you have Pato Ward in fifth, and he is, what, 82 back. 82 back. Yeah. So, and then Rossi in sixth, uh, 97 back. To, to put it in perspective. So Pelot is just off to a dominant start because he hasn't finished outside the top 10 and he hasn't finished outside the top five since the opening race of the year, which usually that means you have a, a tough race coming. That's just the reality. But if he continues this tear yeah. at road America, I'm not going to say the championship's over, but it's going to, it's going to take a lot of bad luck for someone to catch up. Well, it's what it's going to do is really lessen the fat, the candidates as, as it goes forward. So if Pelot can continue to put good results and other drivers behind him can't match it, you're going to find that you see that distance grow, not just for a second, but also looking at 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth. Like, you start falling 120, 130, 150 points behind as you get through the summer, it's going to be tough to make that up in the closing races. So uh, the drivers not only need Alex Pelot to have a bad weekend at some point, but take advantage of that and and close this thing up because... Alex blows off to a great start, but far from over, definitely. Uh, on uh, a lot of people had some snarky replies that we'll get to in, in tweets of the week. As far Are as listeners being snarky, yes, never, right? Uh, as far as who wins the race, um, and we had a lot of good stuff that we'll say for that. Let's get to rate the race. How would you rate this one? First year of an event. I, I also I was struggling with kind of coming up with a, a good number because. 
each race you can't rate compared to like the previous yeah. race, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's its own entity, its own it's arbitrary. rating. Yeah, you, know, you have to do a different different judge of it. I had it as an eight for new track, uh, the uncertainties going in, the concerns with potential chaos of which I don't mind chaos. You and I, neither of us do. I don't either. I mean, I'm good for that one or two races a year. Right. Um, everything factored in. Uh, there was more passing than expected. There was action up front late. I gave it a solid eight. I'll go a little bit better. Eight and a half. I mean, you had tons of passes for the lead. You had intrigue. Um, it was a good event. I don't hand out nines and tens that, that oh, easily. Oh, willy No. Um, I, like to get a nine, you got to have like a, a pass at the very end. Like that, I, I mean, along with every other factor being perfect, but yeah, eight and a half. I thought it was a very entertaining race. It's very different going from the Indy 500 to a street race, but I think it was entertaining and I think it was a, a good event. And I'll be curious to see if that buzz, you know, if it grows in year two or if that was a blip and, and that's, it's the hardest thing, right? Year two, that's the hardest as far as having a new event is. What do you get coming back? But a lot of great uh, responses on this. Autosport Lab, seven and a half, great race, crappy track. It's uh, a good track. Hunter J. Smith, 03, gave it a 10. H. Sabedra gave it a 10 out of 10, much better than expected. Um, Game NMTX1 gave it an 8. Probably butchered that, but uh, that, that was what I had to work with there. Uh, elsewhere on rate the race ratings, a night underscore two ten gave it a nine. Aaron Bear three one seven just posted the average of points earned by full time cars for teams. Standings after Detroit, Chip Ganassi Racing in the lead. No surprise. Yep. Uh, SCTJ nine ten absolutely enjoyed every minute. Plenty of passing and action. Playing spades seven out of ten based on the race. Ten out of ten for the plow and power podium. Big D cart race action six fun at the race nine point nine, Hunter's way sixty seven seven point five not a Pelo fan so that brings it down for me. However, it was entertaining. I was Dixon not penalized for basically punting Will Power. Rossi versus Rosenquist was spicy. Felix knows he's out at McLaren, so might as well go for it. Yeah, I don't know. Was that Dixon thing? I mean, on one hand, Dixon did hit him from behind, right? Uh, yeah, it was tough to me to find it as egregious as some people did. Especially because on a restart going into yes. a corner, I mean, yeah. it's not like he punted power into the wall. Yeah, and did. then power got him right back as far as some side by side. Yeah, contact. I thought it was. Yeah, there was no harm really done there because power got him back pretty easy. I am analog. Uh, given an eight, expected a little more chaos, but I guess one third under caution will limit that. Good teammate battles. N.K. Harden gave it a nine. Multiple passes for the lead. Great racing through the field. Stay green for the final few laps. Only thing keeping it from being a perfect ten. Is the drivers forgetting how to turn? At least four guys just stuffed it straight into the wall for no reason. Amateur. Yeah, I, I mean, drivers are so worried about the track, but look, I like these tracks because you have to limit your mistakes, right? It's yeah. about precision. Alex exactly. Blow is very precise. And, and, you know, we haven't talked about him, but Augustine Canapino, once again, stays out of trouble, Clean finished race. 14th, qualified 20th. I get it. He's not having a great year as far as the point standings go. But this guy continues to impress week after week of just doing his job. And Something, anytime you can finish in the top half of the field, I consider that a, a huge positive for that team in that entry. Something that Callum Eilat has kind of struggled with here or there. I mean, I, we all know the, the, the potential of Callum Eilat 
and stuff, but Canapino has been, you could say, a, a better driver in the sense of doing what he needs to do, keeping it out of trouble, bringing home an entire car, and learning on the fly. He's he's exceeded expectations. And I was thinking about this over the weekend when I was watching uh, this race. In, in terms of the rookie of the year battle, Marcus Armstrong is leading it, yeah. right? And even Devlin, or no, Devlin's a second year guy. Um, but you know how we have rookie of the year at Indy at the 500 and it's not based on finish all the time. Like it should be, but it isn't. I don't see how Augustine, uh, Canapino is not the rookie of the year in my opinion. And I do all credit to Marcus Armstrong. And I know even he's ahead with, with not doing two races and he may do the the rest of the ovals the rest of the season, but the impressiveness of Augustine Canapino and staying out of trouble and learning in and earning the respect of drivers. Like this is a guy that had never driven an open wheel car. He'd driven a lot of cars in his life, but not open wheel car. He, I, I feel to me, he's the, he's the rookie of the year. And that's not taking anything away from Marcus Armstrong. I just feel what the expectations were for Augustine Canapino and what he's done has been night and day. And I've been so, so impressed. Very impressed with what he's done. And the fact, yes, he he did have a crash in the Indy 500, but I mean, it wasn't his fault. Right. He didn't crash on his own or take someone else out. That's impressive enough in, in and of itself as a rookie. I think for him, you just wonder, because he's still learning all these tracks for a first time, excuse me, uh, will he will he ever get, you know, like a, a top 10, top 12 result? Right. Like, unless there's just a race where there's a lot of attrition and, and Yes, he, he's had those races. I mean, he was 12th, I, I guess, in his first two races, but that was due to a lot of attrition in those. When is his breakout race coming? I don't know if it's this. this you mentioned top 10 or top 12. Hell, he finished 14th this past weekend. He, I mean, he's close. And, and that's this past weekend is the kind of race that you would expect him to crash or have issues or go yeah. to the runoff area. And he's not making those no, mistakes. No, you, you mentioned the word precision and how precise you need to be on these tracks. And I know everybody was kind of in the same boat this weekend first time on this track but the fact that canapino went through the entire weekend and didn't put a wheel wrong in the sense of a major crash is just it's so impressive and i just don't think we're appreciating just how impressive it has been through the first half of the season for augustine canapino uh continuing on with rate the race from m rusamarov definitely a strong nine happy for will power can't thank you for your your podcast well thanks for listening poet shevchenko gave it an eight Best straight course race this year. Track is set up surprisingly well for good racing. There are passes for position at almost every turn. Most of the L's were just brain fades by drivers, I think. Yeah, I, I think I, I would fully agree. Daguerre gave it a seven. Surprisingly good with plenty of overtaking. Also for the lead, the driving standards are poor here and there. It was obvious guys like Rob and Peterson wouldn't make it through this race without incidents. And the track is missing at least one fast corner. It's a good point. There aren't fast corners here, but it, it, they're restricted by the layout. The, I mean, it's the, a city streets. Yeah. There aren't very many fast corners in downtowns anywhere. The The track is the track. Yeah. The Jamin T14, solid eight. Tough racing with minor chaos, but not the melee some predicted. Jeremy from HPG gave it an eight on the entertainment scale. Grosjean and Award getting minus five for the driving skills. <laughs> run underscore mark underscore run. Seven and a half good action, but a little bumper car-ish at times. Beans B-card blog. Give it a six. Too many cautions. The track is too narrow. And we did have an entry uh, via Facebook as far as uh, rating the race. Let me pull that up uh, as far as as this. Uh, I expected a five. This is from Warren. 
Uh, I expected a five or six. I gave it an eight or nine. It wasn't the Nashville Smash Fest I expected. So there you go. No, it was not. Uh, the the professional race car drivers drove like professional race car drivers on Sunday. At least the majority of them did. So that's a look at uh, rate the race. Other things to get to in the mailbag this week. And again, a lot of stuff, a lot of people sent in that will definitely be on tweets of the week because it was that good a content. Uh, R. Cole said, okay, time to celebrate. First time and first. Thank you, Alex Pillow. Uh, hashtag is it may yet uh, and that's Buddy Rice Aroni so congrats congratulations leading the uh, fantasy IndyCar league I'm not sure where I stand but I know it's very mid pack uh, I'm very bad because I missed two races <laughs> I, I think I missed one it's not bad if you miss one and you're still mid pack yeah but we'll I, keep track of those standings throughout the, the ab- uh, summer absolutely um, this from FitJ1983 Talking about Detroit, drivers did a great job keeping the race mostly clean. I will say that I met more first-time in-person watchers of an IndyCar race than any race I've ever been to except Nashville. Hope that grows in the future. That's well, great. Na- Nashville, a lot of buzz the first year, and then the second year was hampered by weather. I'll this be year curious. Be, this will be your be pivotal. This is, this is the pivotal year three for that event. Are you planning on going to Nashville this Undecided. year? Undecided. Undecided. We'll see. Gotcha. Uh, so that wraps up the mailbag news and notes time. Not, not a whole lot to get to something we didn't get to in the TV discussion. Adam Stern, uh, of sports business journal posted the top rated local markets for the Detroit race, uh, 4.7 for Detroit. That's really big. That's Indianapolis cool. got a 2.9 Knoxville, Tennessee, a 1.5 Fort Myers, Naples, a 1.4 Milwaukee, a 1.1 Louisville, 1.1 Greenville. South Carolina 1.1, Nashville 1.0, Dayton, Columbus, and Cincinnati also 1.0. So that's the top 10 for the ratings uh, on there. And I just, it's interesting because I don't remember the top five, traditional top fives, Detroit's not in there. So there's a lot of interest, not just people going, but people watching in Detroit too. And hopefully they liked what they saw and maybe will consider going next year. Uh, speaking of upcoming events, uh, the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix in August, uh, this is interesting. I saw this. So they're doing a skip the line thing. So three-day ticket buyers granted premium access to skip the line uh, on Broadway's, you know, most popular venues on Friday and Saturday nights during race week. And they have fast pass wristbands on site at guest services tents. So if you're going to go, that three-day ticket gets you some special access. I think that's a really unique idea, especially for that event. I would definitely agree. Uh, Elsewhere, on news and notes, AJ Foyt Racing uh, tweeting out, and we forgot to get to this, I think, last week, but they raised over $3 million in donations for Homes for Our Troops with their 8500 campaign. ABC Supply Match, $1 million of those donations. So very, very cool, the success they had with that campaign. Excellent job. Uh, elsewhere on news and notes, the Lionheart documentary is debuting at the Tribeca Film Festival this Saturday. So... See, that is what, June 10th? Uh, yeah. Yes, June 10th. Uh, HBO release on streaming TBA, according to Arnie Schribben of IndyCar. In fact, this weekend, also big in the world of racing, the 24 Hours of Le Mans and LeBron James, official starter. So you get one of the biggest athlete superstars in the world as the official starter. Well, if you can go to Le Mans, he can go to Indianapolis. Right? Although... It's easier when you're not in the middle of a season to go to Le Mans. That's true. And, you know, talking about the Dan Weldon documentary, 
his son, Sebastian Weldon, first career win, victory in Skip Barber uh, last weekend at Virginia International Raceway. So congrats First to of him many, I imagine. In, in the, uh, the, the car. Now, obviously, he won a lot in carts, but this is his first car win. So Correct. congrats to him. Elsewhere, Mario Andretti, a couple F1 uh, ties to the Indy 500. Mario Andretti saying he will persuade Max Verstappen on coming to the Indy 500 and seeing him in the race. And meanwhile, Charles Leclerc had a Gazetta interview. This translated. Um, big takeaway, he'd love to drive the Indianapolis 500. Oh. So that translated, I think, from what? Italian? So keep that in mind. Throw another F1 fun. driver who's interested. Sure, why not? I think he would definitely be welcome. All right. Does that mean Ferrari's coming to the car? Is that <laughs> what you're saying? <laughs> no. No, we we played that game before. Yeah, we have. But we do have some notes as far as uh, some interesting tidbits from the racer mailbag. Marshall Pruitt. Uh, Rick Hendrick, could he come to IndyCar? Uh, Marshall says, can't say if Hendrick is headed full-time to IndyCar, but it doesn't seem like a complete fantasy. And another note as far as third OEM. So you joked about Ferrari, but Toyota... Uh, Penske Entertainment came close with Toyota going as far as to offer uh, them help with supplying major components from Ilmore Engineering, which Penske co-founded and co-owns and makes supplies Chevy's IndyCar engines, but the timing didn't work out. Provided Penske Entertainment is willing to make similar offers to other manufacturers is a big help in terms of saving costs on ground-up development and time to bring those engines to reality. And while there are always conversations taking place between the series and manufacturers, I've heard nothing to suggest a third is on the way. So not only uh, helping them financially, but we'll give them parts from other companies. Whatever like more is a Chevy, basically. Yes. <laughs> Whatever helps. All right. Time for tweets of the week. And we have several. We start off with a lot of people very snarky about who wins in Detroit. Indy Nathan said the pace car. Which was, I, I didn't think so. A pace car wasn't out there as much as we thought it would be. And no pace car crash. No. Nope. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. Adaptive Bomb said the walls in turn three. Not as bad. Not as bad uh, as we thought it'd be. Is Indy 500 today, Delora. Uh, they probably did win. Probably. Uh, and then these two comparisons. So first from Roman Grosjean himself. Suspension failure. Guess the track wasn't made for our car. Tony DeZeno tweeting, at least the 28 is consistent. <laughs> And then Eeks. finally, final tweet of the week from the Team Penske Team Twitter account, Flavor of the Weekend, and it's Flava Flav with Roger Penske. Some pictures there. Flava of the Week. F-L-A-V-A. Uh, yeah, well, they should have. They did say flavor, but yes. they should have said Flava. They say Flava of the Week. Uh, of the Week. Absolutely. All right. Time for our random split air driver of the week. All right. We're going back to the uh, early days of the Indy Racing League and going with Johnny O'Connell. Who you I've said heard, I've heard of him. from him. I have. Yes, which he only raced four races over two years in the IRL, so uh, very impressed that you uh, know who it is. But he's actually the most successful GM factory racing driver, he, and he ra- has raced in the Pirelli World Championship, won multiple drivers' championships over the course of that, um, some Le Mans as well, um, but just did four races in IndyCar over the course of two years. Started off in Cunningham with Cunningham Racing in '96. Actually, had a top five at Phoenix that year, and then through '96, '97 that season, that of course carried over both years. Treadway Racing. Um, he was 12th at Vegas, and 
then did not qualify for the Indianapolis 500 with A.J. Foyt in 97. Um, so his only Indy 500 start was in 96 and finished 29th. So four official races made a, uh, let's see, a top 10 at Disney World, your favorite all-time race, <laughs> and a fifth at Phoenix, and then a 12th at Vegas, and a 29th at the 1996 Indianapolis 500. After that, did a lot, as we said, with the 24-hour Le Mans, um, and did a lot of um, racing with the Pirelli World Challenge as well. Four uh, class wins in the 24 hours. Very impressive. Uh, best finish overall was a fifth in his first year. That was driving uh, the IMSA GTS class. So he is largely in that class or GT1. Yeah. Uh, so a secondary class, but still a lot with Corvette over the years uh, with his success. But again, to, to win your class at 24 hours of Le Mans is very impressive. And he's done it... Um at least with the GT, pretty good. So Johnny O'Connell, he's a native of, is it Poughkeepsie, New York? Poughkeepsie. Is that how it is? Yes. Poughkeepsie. I, just, I know. I've heard of Poughkeepsie. I just never thought of how you spelled it. But uh, still with us, 60 years old, did four races over two years. Mr. Johnny O'Connell, this week's Random Split Era Driver of the Week. And speaking about his success in the 24 Hours of Le Mans, uh, let's get into the IndyCar drivers, past, present, as far as people to keep an eye on this weekend. Sebastian Bourdais and Scott Dixon with Cadillac and, and Chip Ganassi racing this weekend. Tristan Vautier, the replacement for ah. Jacques Villeneuve for Floyd Van Wall Racing Team. Uh, he will compete. Esteban Guerrieri, former Indy Lights driver, will be a part of it as well. Andre Lauderer, uh, didn't he have a start at one time in, in Champ Car? Yes. Uh, uh, he's been a random split era driver of the week. So he's another guy, 2002 cart. There you go. Another guy competing. uh, And I'm sure I'll probably miss a few here. Mike Conway with Toyota Gazoo racing. He's been with them for a long time. Had a lot of success there. Uh, Continuing on drivers, keep an eye on. um, Let's see. You have several former F1 guys. You have Ryan Briscoe used to be with Ganassi and Penske and several other teams in IndyCar. He's with Glickenhaus racing. You also have in LMP2. So that was just the top category, the hypercar. Uh, 16 yes. cars in that category. Um, then in LMP2, as far as guys to, to keep an eye on, Ben Hanley with Nielsen Racing. Uh-huh. Obviously was with uh, Dragon, Dragon Speed. Speed. Um, Pietro Fittipaldi ran a couple of races with Foyt. He's with Joda uh, in the Areca chassis. So a name to keep an eye on there as well. And looking elsewhere, this category, a lot of entries. This is a huge event. I can't stress enough as far as you know how big this is. Simon Pagano will return with Cool Racing, that category. So he's back at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in his home country as well. And then continuing on to the GTE AM, which is 21 cars. Uh, as far as the, the look at, at drivers with IndyCar connections, here and I've skipped over guys who've done IndyCar tests too because sure. I've seen several names pop up. Oh, I remember they did a test with this team, you know, a couple years ago. Um, there are just a, a lot of names, really, no one in this category, surprisingly, with an IndyCar tie in. And then, of course, Garage 56, the innovative car, the NASCAR Hendrick Motorsports team with the Chevy Camaro, Jimmy Johnson, uh, a part of that. 
And then you, you have reserve teams as well. So either way, this will be interesting to watch as LeBron starts the race and to see, I think that NASCAR entry will be fascinating to watch. I agree uh, for us to see how they perform. Yeah. A lot of intrigue for LeMond and of course a, a big year for LeMond in celebrating uh, such a milestone too. So that wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week, hopefully with some silly season updates. Let's get some see. silly season updates, some international race updates, some third OEM updates. Let's do, do, do the trifecta next week. That's all to come next week for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.